Uh, oh. You did not actually just go there, did you? I did. <laughs> oh, okay. I came with a Halloween costume, too. Hello, this is Samuel Hansen. You are listening to Combinations and Permutations, episode 19. In today's second edition of Chris and His Crazy Ideas, we talk about the Jetsons, Riemann Integrals, Moore's Law, and how things can be relentlessly top-down. Here it goes. Hello and welcome to Combinations and Permutations. The math podcast that comes to you from CDC Building 7's mailroom. Now, I am your host, Samuel Hansen, as the introduction to this podcast, I'm sure, told you. And so there's no real need for me to mention that again. Uh, but there is somebody else here with me today. And I do feel that it would be in my best interest to let all of you know that his name is Christopher Bates. And I'm not a superhero, but I play one on TV. And as a continuation of our uh, summer series that we started on the last episode, Chris and his crazy ideas, I've brought Chris back to back into the room with me and put a microphone in front of him and didn't record anything he said for the past like 20 minutes. And so we're going to try this again. And if some of the conversations feel a little bit stilted, that's because I'm a tremendous idiot. And so without further ado, Chris... What are you thinking about? Well, I was I was actually watching a friend of mine play a, a video game. It was one of those boxing games. Uh, I guess it was Xbox or whichever one's made by Microsoft. You no, know, well, I mean, Microsoft wouldn't have made the game. They would have made the platform. I didn't know Microsoft made hardware. I thought they just did software. Well, Microsoft. I mean, it's a Microsoft Xbox. I mean, it's they. Oh, well, I mean, they don't actually produce the hardware themselves. I mean, they buy the hardware and then they put it together. And then they have the Xbox everything put on it, and then they do it. Some of the games are made by Microsoft, but not many. They they generally sell licensing agreements, and they, you know, other companies make them. I mean, it's the same way that like Sony works. I mean, Sony doesn't make all the PlayStation games. Nintendo doesn't make all the Wii games. I was, Capcom makes them all. I was mistaken. Oh, gosh, does um now for the Xbox? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with these things, but where do they put the Control Alt Delete button for when it crashes? Well, it's, you know, the Xbox is kind of like the, you know, Apple. It's a single set of hardware that they're able to write a set of software that actually doesn't crash very often because it doesn't change. I mean, the, I mean, the main reason that Windows crashes so much is because it's run on so many different sets of hardware. Xbox is a single type of hardware that's always those pieces of hardware. It's a lot easier to program for a closed device than an open device. So it never really crashes or... Well, I, I don't know. I don't actually own an Xbox. I never have. The last, the last uh, gaming console that I purchased... Uh, let's see. last gaming console I used was an NES. The last one I purchased was a PlayStation, the original one, back in like 2000. The gray one that's like a CD player? <laughs> yeah, that one. 
It's just it's a CD player. I yeah, mean, it's it really... not a CD player. It had a huge amount of games. There were some fantastic games for him. The graphics just weren't very good. I couldn't afford the games, but I mean, I could put some CDs in there. Woo. <laughs> I I had I had a CD player as well. I, you know, was technologically literate at a young age. I don't think I started buying CDs until like 1997. I had a birthday. So oh, so by the it. by the time that nobody was using them and it was already downloading stuff off Napster. Well, I didn't get a computer until like last year. So. And now you're on a podcast, man. You are progressing at an exponential rate as far as you're. I'm 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 going from the Jeffersons to the Jetsons. <laughs> Could you imagine the black Jetsons? I I don't want to. Oh, anyway, I, I bet you. I'm sure they wouldn't have a dog, though. <laughs> well, yeah, they would. I mean, they, they, they'd still have a dog. It just wouldn't be quite, uh, quite that you know, down home and friendly. It'd be much more like, uh, you know, junkyard dog, a Rottweiler with a laser in his uh, yeah. collar. Or something. Well, I mean, obviously to help mug people. <laughs> so oh they... God, I'm so, I'm so sorry. That was so incredibly racist. What dogs? Dogs are dangerous. No, I, I was talking about implying that that African Americans only get dogs to help mug people. Or that you, all African Americans bug people. I, would, I also implied I, that. I thought you were talking about futuristic dogs, how they would get Oh over, no, I was like, talking about futuristic to... black people. Oh. Futuristic dogs would be over mauling people, they'll just take their money. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so I was watching my friend play this yeah. video game. It's one of those boxing games. And I was I was amazed at how realistic the the graphics were. I mean the guy would get punched and you see like blood or spit fly out of his face. And I was like, wow, this, this looks pretty real. But, but there's still something wrong about it. You know, it, it doesn't quite look real. You could tell that it, there was something wrong. And you, I don't know, I just couldn't quite, I couldn't quite explain it in like formal or, um, or um, objective terms. But, but we knew that it wasn't real. So I was like, well, you know, I mean, I started asking this question. Like, how can we make graphics better how we can we, how can we make them more realistic i mean i don't know i don't anything about computers but i mean is there a way we can do that or how do, how do we make graphics better i mean i mean graphics I mean, graphics become better when either people figure out better ways of modeling uh, graphics i mean which is something we can come back to in a second because then this is a very important thing and it, it's it's helped progress graphics a huge amount but the big thing that that pushes uh the way that graphics get better now it's just it's computing power i mean it's the same way that we can solve differential equations faster the same way that we can you know model climate change better i mean all of these math things because i mean computers are at their base level calculators i mean they're they're calculators that can display things or just i mean but they're essentially calculators because everything that a computer does can be taken down to some sort of boolean operation and I mean that's I and mean, that's just what computers do. Computers do math. Everything they do technically is math. And in order to you know say model thing, and currently we do graphics mostly with polygons. I mean because polygons, I mean they have a they have a decent. I mean I mean you take a bunch of different sides, and we use those to you know model a curve. In the same way that like say with uh, the Riemann sum for the integral. You know, because I mean, we have a curve and we want to approximate the area underneath the curve. And we do that by creating little bars that go up and touch the curve at one corner. And, you know, and then another one that goes up on the next part. And if if we have a curve that, I mean, has, say, of distance one, and we make each one of these little boxes one-tenth 
of a, of a unit of some unit of distance, then we're not going to get that great of a, depending on how curved it is. If it's a straight line, obviously we can get a great approximation. It's not even an approximation. That's just the truth. But if, it, I mean, if it's a very, I mean, has occurs with a lot of curves in it, then the approximation is not going to be that good. And so, I mean, as, as you're nodding along at me, like I'm giving a lecture to a beginning calculus class and you're really understanding, I know that you know all of this information already, Chris, but it, what we do is we allow the number of little boxes that we're finding the area of to go to infinity. And each one goes up, I mean, to the curve and touches it. And since it's a, it, we have an infinite number, each of them is infinitely small. So we, we get the actual area underneath the curve. We can do that on a computer, though, because, I mean, we already found the number for well, infinity was like, was it 65, <laughs> 80, 84 or something? Uh, yeah, it was, I think it was 8,374. Maybe it's something really close. That was the number of infinity. Uh, no, I mean, it. we there are integral approximation methods used on computer. Uh, the main one used is the Runga Kunta numerical approximation you. method. Fuck you, dude. And and so, I mean, we can use that. And that's that's a way of uh, for an integral that's very hard to solve. I'm not obviously not the integral of what two X. The integral of 2x from 0 to 1 is very, very easy to do. What's what's the answer of that? Um, integral of 2x from 0 to 1. Um, the integral from, was it x squared 0 to 1? Is it 1? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, good. Good job. Good job, Chris. <laughs> you passed the uh, calculus exam on today's combinations and permutations. Where's my bachelor's degree? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe an associate's for that. Yes. Um, and, and so... And that, and that's how we approximate things like that. And the way that you approximate curves in in um, computer graphics is very similar. You just try to fit as many polygons into as small of a space as you can until, to the human eye, it looks like it's actually drawing a curve, which is something a computer can't do. A computer cannot draw like a you know a circle. I mean, it can't draw an actual circle because, I mean, they're just individual pixels on a computer screen. And obviously, I mean, you can make it look like it's a circle, but it's never actually going to be one. And so you just make them draw so many polygons. And that's why the higher the resolution on your game, the better it looks. And you draw so many polygons until it, it looks like it is. And because you're drawing so many polygons, you need a lot of computing power behind it in order to do it. And then when you go into computing power, you just end up talking about Moore's Law. And Moore's Law is, uh, let's see, here's what the Wikipedia says about Moore's Law. I'm not going to lie. I, I know the basics of it, which if I would have been recording earlier, you would have seen that I know the basics of it. But no, I had to put into the line out uh, position. So Moore's Law describes a long-term trend in computing hardware uh, developed by Intel, uh, observed by Intel co-founder Gordon Moore in uh, 1965. And it uh, states that the number of transistors that can be placed inexpensively on an integrated circuit has increased exponentially, doubling approximately every two years. Now, this means that every two years, everything becomes twice as fast, essentially, because if you can put twice as many integrated circuits on a board, then it's twice as fast. And it also means that whatever your speed was before is half as expensive. So, I mean, that's why computers don't really get cheap, that much cheaper anymore. I mean, they still is some decrease. But if you want, you know, a top-of-the-line computer now, it's going to be about the same price as a top-of-the-line computer two years from now. The one two years from now is going to be 
twice as fast. And if you wait two years to buy the top-line computer now, it's going to cost you half as much. So I should wait four years to buy a really kick-ass computer. Only if you then can uh, hop in the TARDIS and jump back here. Can I borrow some of the chips from the TARDIS? Yeah, He's actually, can, can we just use the TARDIS? <laughs> I mean, the TARDIS is sentient. Does the TARDIS have any games on it? Like, imagine playing like Mario, like four, okay, four okay. I'm, I'm, Mario. I'm, I'm very, I'm very sorry to say that if you have a TARDIS, time and relative dimension in space—that's right, I know what it stands for—and you got the Doctor there to help you control it. Why do you want to play a game? Like, man, I really want to play this like Dungeons and Dragons fighting game. Just a second. Is there just a planet with some dragons and a bunch of people walking around with, you know, swords? <laughs> I, I just want to play four-dimensional Mario. <laughs> I, I mean, just, just play four-dimensional, let's take the TARDIS somewhere fucking awesome. Mario World? <laughs> we go to Mario World. Probably. I'm sure it's uh, a relative dimension somewhere in space. I want to see what's under the princess dress. Oh, God, Chris. Okay, so I uh, continue on with whatever you were talking about before. Well, my friend was playing this boxing game. I was like, you know, it'd be great if this was realistic. And and I was like, well, you know, there's probably some limit to it or, you know, some difficulty as to why we uh, haven't been able to get, like, convincingly real graphics. Um, so I was like, well, maybe there's a maybe there's just something about graphics that the human brain uh, or something about computer generated images that the human brain is is just so good at noticing that it might be very difficult, almost maybe even impossible to generate something artificially, some image that is a hundred percent convincing. I don't, I don't agree with that. Um, simply, I mean, because, uh, was it? It, um, when you're in the desert and you're walking around in the desert for a really long period of time, and all of a sudden you start seeing an oasis that doesn't actually exist. What's that called? MTV. Oh, oh, oasis. Oh, okay. Oh, a mirage. Yeah, Sorry. a mirage. Because because mirages exist, which means that it is, I mean, at least it's possible for our brains to not be able to tell that something we're seeing is real or not. So that means that, I mean, there does exist the ability for our brains to not be able to tell between reality and and unreality. So it, I think it does become just, a, just an idea of how soon can computer power go that far and when can we uh, perhaps come up with a different way of of modeling images maybe we maybe that's the big thing maybe we have to come up with some other mathematical way i mean because right now we're using polygons okay i mean and as computer power gets better we can use more sides on the polygon and say i mean eventually the polygon just looks like a circle <laughs> and maybe maybe mathematically maybe as mathematicians we should start looking at applied ways of or uh, different algorithms and things for displaying graphics using different methods. Well, I was I was thinking about um, you know this this thing about you know making realistic looking games, but then I thought, well, why stop there? Why not make movies? I mean, they've made. Well, I'm I mean, sure movies movies is where it's going to happen before games anyway, and, and for the simple reason that when you're doing a movie, uh, it, you tend to have a lot more money. And the thing with games is games have to be able to run on the hardware that people have in their own house. Movies get to be animated on server farms and Beowulf clusters and supercomputers that make mathematicians jealous. Because if we had access and the amount of computing time that, say, ILM uses for one scene 
of like say episode three, like one scene of episode three. Say say actually just say five or one second of the uh, the Anakin Obi Wan lightsaber battle in the lava world. One second of that. I mean that's twenty four frames. And there's 24 frames per second that, or it might, they were doing HD digital quality. So it may have been up to 30 frames per second. Each one of those frames would take so much computing power and time to do that it pretty much any normal problem that a mathematician is doing on could have computed in one of the times that probably a fraction of one of those frames finished rendering. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the ILM has super, super fast computers. And we have a couple of supercomputers on campus here. They would have taken probably a decade to render that movie, if not longer. And, and we do climate modeling here. I, I'm amazed. I had no and, idea. And so, the, I mean, that's, that's why movies will do it first, because they have more computing power, they have more money, they have more time. And since games have to run on... Uh, consumer level hardware not professional level level hardware it will it will happen in movies before it happens again i mean just look at and i never actually saw the beowulf movie but i mean that was essentially the animation of real people it was real people got animated on top and i looked at I me mean, it looked i mean it, it wasn't obviously it wasn't convincing that it was reality but it looked very much like if like they were people they looked like people they just looked having to look like animated people but they looked very real and and so i mean it's obviously getting closer and closer i mean it's just when is it when is it going to happen i mean maybe that's the point that becomes a singularity when we can't tell the difference between reality and 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 what's a computer generated image i never even thought about that i mean that's like that's a whole new singularity yeah um, whoa well, I mean, the, the thing I was curious about, though, is applying this to movies. Um, the reason, I mean, here's the here's the real reason behind it. I'm thinking music is being pirated left and right. I don't buy music anymore. I mean, if That's I want something, you're a very I bad it. person. I wish it on record that I still pay for my music. But I mean, if I'm a bad person, how many worse people are there out there? I mean, I, I still give you, money to homeless not people. Not many. <laughs> I give money to homeless people. Well, homeless musicians. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Which are only homeless because you downloaded. Oh, I, I shouldn't say anything. I download plenty of stuff. I just don't happen to pirate music. Well, I don't. I don't let anyone else get it because I'm worried about the. Uh, what is it? The MP? No, the RIAA. Recording. Uh, just saying, it's recording something. Artists of America. Assholes. Recording industry. Uh, Association of America. I think that's what it is. Nazis. Yeah, they're jackasses. Is what they are. Well, I, that's why I don't share any music. I just download it. Yeah, but, which but, actually makes you a much worse person oh, because yes. you're stealing it all, and then you're not letting anybody else steal it from you. But they would be glad, though. They'd rather have me out there, right, than the other guy. But, no, they'd rather none of us be alive. <laughs> so I'm thinking about these guys. You know, the, the music industry is losing money. I mean, in terms of media, yeah, it, they're losing money. It has nothing to do with downloading. It has to do with outmod outmoded business plans and. Also, the reaction they've had to downloading, which has caused a lot more people to download just because they're a bunch of jackasses. But I thought about movies. I mean, with the bandwidth increasing, um, people are downloading. Uh, you, you know the MPAA claims that they're losing billions of dollars every year due to movie downloads, right? Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, they, they claim that. They claim that they lose more money than the RIAA does. Well, in that case, they're going to love this. Okay. 
Hit it with me. Are you going to give me a DRM scheme here? Because I think I'm going to kill you. At some point, it's going to be too expensive to make a blockbuster movie. Simply because they're going to lose money once it goes on to it becomes digital media, DVD sales or whatever. People are just going to download the DVD. No one's going to want to go to the theater when yeah, they drop. Yeah, but a lot of times when you download movies, you don't get to download the entire. You generally just download a rip of the movie, so you don't get all the special features and things like that. What I mean, it, there's there's business models that will help them survive this, but it continue. Well, it, with I with need people to get buying on my like, high horse of, on all of this right now. With people buying HD TVs, home theater systems. I mean, the price of those is of course coming down. Eventually, no one's going to want to spend fifteen dollars per person to go to the movies when they can just. It's get an event. Thing. Well, it is an event, but I mean, it's a, it's an experience. But if you it's can a mimic, date. yeah. But I mean, if you could <laughs> save the money, oh, well, anyway. <laughs> okay, yeah. Don't finish that thought. <laughs> but but my, my point is, though, at some point, uh, the movie uh, uh, MPAA, the MPAA, Motion is, Picture Association of America, that one I know. Those guys are going to want to decrease their operating costs and still be able to make a blockbuster. They're not going to be able to pay artists, you know, $20 million. Yeah, but, I mean, don't you think that they'll just start hiring more talented actors that are unknown for cheaper? Why hire unknown actors when you can make your own? Make Here's movies why. that are completely virtual, no real actors, but voice, you know, artificially... I know why. It's still going to be cheaper to pay people than to buy that amount of computers. Until, until by Moore's law, the price becomes well. Yeah, but then people just work for cheaper. And and also there there is something that a computer is never, no matter how good the mathematicians become at modeling images and giving algorithms to the you know people who do the visual art stuff, no matter how fast computers go, no matter how cheap this is, there's still something that these virtual things aren't going to be able to do. Have affairs? One, we need our tabloid industry, which is not one of my actual things, so I'm going to go back to one. They can't improvise. Two, they can't actually emote. No matter how good you make an image at copying the emotions of somebody, unless you actually have the image of a person acting this thing out and then digitize that, you're never gonna be able to get. You're never gonna be able to teach the computer how to do it unless we go all the way to artificial intelligence, and then we're all dead anyway. I, I think we may be able to use the, the the same technology that is behind face recognition technology. I mean, right now we've got. Yeah, in order to in order to make it mimic an emotion, but an actor, something an actor does is put something new in it. The idea that yes, there is this emotion. I mean, yay, we're going to, I mean, look, look, there's this emotion. I have joy. My face lights up. But but what about the actors like looking, thinking what's coming up next or truly understands his character? It's like, you know, maybe I should oscillate between actual joy and ironic joy. Maybe I'm, you know, portraying a hipster and I, I want ironic joy. You're not going to be able to to teach the computer to make these decisions while you're doing it. You would have to spend so many man hours physically programming the emotion at every single point in time unless either that or it's going to look like an old vaudeville production every or you know a theater everything over the top no nuance i I disagree and also the improvisation a huge amount of movies these days especially comedies there's a basic script but most of the dialogue's not written you just let the people go up and you're like well this is what you guys are talking about 
and this is the Judd Apatow model of doing things. I mean, you have a basic script and there's a few things that are written. You have to say these things. But, I mean, they let the people go up there. They let people like, uh, you know, Martin Starr and uh, Seth Rogen stand up there together and talk back and forth, getting you something a lot more natural than anything that can be written in a script because it's being written in a script. So, obviously, it's, I mean, it's what somebody thinks is natural, but it might not actually be natural for the people who are playing those roles. I agree with that. I mean, in terms of improv or... And it, I don't think that emoting, in, unless we can get proper artificial intelligence that can that can mimic, completely mimic the human emotional stature, which I don't know is technically possible. I mean, artificial intelligence is, is one thing, making it self, self-aware self and able to think on its on its own. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a Kurtzwellian. I do believe that one day mathematics and computer science, mathematicians and computer scientists will eventually stumble upon the way of doing that, probably with the help of, you know, phys- uh, uh, physics people and uh, chemists and biologists and neuroscientists. I think that we'll get to that point, but that thing is still not going to be human. It's not going to understand the human emotional thing because we got this weird sort of entropy and randomness that is in us. And sometimes it's not the emotion that, say, the director thinks is going to work that works. It's that decision that the actor makes. Like, this emotion is wrong. I'm not going to portray the emotion that the director says I should be portraying right now. I'm going to portray the diametrically opposed thing. And that's the shot that ends up working. I don't think the MPAA cares, though. They just want to make money. Yeah, but I mean, everything's getting decentralized. I mean, if yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big fan, and I listen to Douglas. I'm a big fan of Douglas Rushkoff in general, and I listen to his WFMU radio show, and it, it's Media Squad Douglas Rushkoff, and as and he talks about bottom up answers to our relentlessly top down society, and one area that you can really see the change between top up and bottom or the top down and bottom up is the media realm. There's a huge amount of musicians who just release their own music now. And they can get it. They can get it listed in iTunes by themselves. They don't need the RIAA. They don't need you know Sony. They don't need Universal Records or whatever the big companies are these days. I don't even know anymore. There's people who are making movies, brilliant movies, and because home computers are so powerful now, I there's one I saw a trailer for a movie called uh, Offline the other day. And it's one that a guy did on his own, and uh, I mean with help with help of you know other you know like art director you know filmographers and things and people that he knows but he did all the special effects and all the editing and all the shooting in his spare time and it's brilliant this trailer is brilliant i cannot wait for this movie to come out but it's not a major thing he's doing this himself and a lot of movies are now becoming like this because it's it i can buy an hd an hd camera or it's something not hd 720p so not full hd but full digital 1080i with interlacing so close to hd i can buy that camera for a hundred dollars and it can shoot both slow-mo and fast uh yeah i mean it can shoot 60 or 30 frames per second it'll store it all on digital so storage is cheap i don't have to go out and buy tapes i can buy a bunch of these i could do i could do my own multi-camera sitcom without much money at this point what about special effects though special effects you buy after effects photoshop and a few other things in adobe premiere yeah sure you sink a few thousand dollars into it but you can get the professional level software and it will run on your home computer the rendering time will take a little bit longer but i mean say you have another couple thousand bucks you buy a bunch of old computers off ebay one of the lots from a school you build yourself a beowulf cluster you use uh the math soft or the 
math cluster software, uh, Boink from UC Berkeley that you use for SETI, which they will give to you for free since it's open source. And you can set up a, your own cluster of computers that, I mean, 50 computers that cost you $2,000 that you just bought. And you can set them up as a cluster. And any one of those computers is really slow by our thing, but because of parallel processing and uh, the idea of... Uh, well, yeah, I mean, parallel processing, there's something in finite automata that I learned, but I can't quite remember the name of it right now, that will allow you to do that, do what used to be, say, an in-log, or, I mean, or just a in-time, just a regular, you know, in or in-squared, regular polynomial, and do it in log time. Yeah. So do you want to, do you want to start a film company? <laughs> not, not really, because I, I mean, that's not where, that's not where my own personal, um, I mean... Uh, skill set comes into being I and that's that's another thing people are doing what they want to because they now have access to all of this thing and we have access to it because of Moore's law well I, I was just I was just intrigued by this whole notion of making okay uh, but explain why you believe that this will allow or would have less uh, or it was just because they were losing money right so if you could make a blockbuster film with excellent special effects that was and it was artificially produced, of course, but indistinguishable when seen by human audiences. You could cut out the actor, the expense of buying or paying actors, the expense of just about every other human that that would be in the movie, stunt doubles, insurance, and the whole thing would just be essentially the computing costs and the cost of the hardware and the the man hours, of course. But but I mean, I think you you bring up an excellent point: the 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 fact that a face needs to show some type of emotion, first of all. Um, I know there's face recognition software, but well, and and there are people I know for uh, there's a TED lecture I watched on uh, how they created the face the old Brad Pitt face for Benjamin Button, and the way they did it, I mean it was it was brilliant. The the math and the computer software involved in the in in it were amazing, and I'll make sure to post it up on the blog, which is combinationsandpermutations.blogspot.com, because this this lecture is is quite brilliant, and they were able to. Uh, get him and they were able to model Brad Pitt doing emotions and then insert those emotions in there. And actually that face, the old Brad Pitt face might be the closest we've ever gotten to something that looks real, but isn't because I mean, they completely CGI'd his face when he was an old man in that movie. I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen trailers and it does look like him. Well, in this case, it, it looks like be... an old version of Brad Pitt. We should be able to apply that same idea and have like maybe test audiences no, not in real life, but just have an have a uh, um, uh, what do you call it? A, Online a group video of people. thing. I mean, well, just uh, we need people to look at a face and say whether they believe it's sad or happy or whatever. I mean, you you then, you do understand neuroscientists have been doing that for ages. But then sample the data from those studies and use that to define what this fake or animated face will be when it's you know, sad. I mean, it like we've we've done things. I mean, there's a uh, visual lie detector software that uses things like that. That detects certain twitch because human face looks in a certain way when it's lying. How many? How many? Uh, would it be possible to like have maybe a two-dimensional and region with the different emotional states? Two-dimensional wouldn't do you any good. Not enough space. Well, you need at least three-dimensional, and because you have three-dimensional face. No, I'm sorry. What I meant was have like a region of uh, different colors on a two-dimensional region or whatever, and as someone's animating or drawing uh, a character in you know a CGI completely CGI film, um, if you want the face to be approaching sad, you know, as someone's face changes. I'm, I'm, can... I'm sure that you can. And I, I know that the on the Benjamin Button lecture, they talk about they have modeled a huge amount of 
the emotions. There's a certain amount of there's a certain amount of facial positions that are possible, and it's just combinations of those that you have to put together in order to get any of the other facial. Well, that could things, be used but... in terms of along with animation. I mean, traditional animation has just been you know draw the face, are the eyes blinking, is the mouth open, are the nostrils flaring? Uh, but then I, I still, I mean, I, I don't think that it would be able to. Uh necessarily give the same thing unless you have actors actually acting it out and you just digitize them you would need that you the person who wrote no no it, I, i'm no i'm just saying that i don't think that you could actually get something as good i mean, but actually i can't i can't say as good because good is i mean that's such a subjective thing as realistic well, if we were to sample i don't know maybe a hundred yeah, thousand yeah faces sure you and... can find something that very much approximates that but you can't you can't have an animator who is good enough to know exactly what is going through the character's head. I mean, that's one reason why actors are so good at what they at what they do. They're able to live these characters. So it would require an animator that is actually not just an animator. He would have to actually know the story and yeah. be an actor perhaps himself. Yeah, I mean, to... But there there are cases where the certain animators are really good at look at the Pixar films. I agree. <laughs> uh, Ratatouille, I mean or Ratatouille <laughs> as uh you know, most people pronounce it. I, I think I just sounded way too pretentious there. I might have to knock that bit out. And I mean, Ratatouille, I mean, there's human characters in there who have emotions that look like it, but they also still have, I mean, they have voiceover actors and they're still voiceover actors, but they still tend to model off of those people, how their face looks because they might be voiceover actors, but that doesn't mean that their face doesn't hold the same emotion that they would if they were acting the part for real. Is there a way to sample a person's voice and then have that voice be the voice that speaks a certain dialogue in a, it, it, a film? It, I'm sure that there probably is. You'd have to have them saying a huge amount of stuff and then you just kind of pull it out and you hack it together until you get all the phonemes that you need and then you modify that. Use pitch control, things like that, in order to show emotion. But... No, I mean, it, it's it's a decent idea, and there's there definitely is a lot of uh, I mean, math that would be necessary for it. Uh, not that you apparently seem to know any of that math in order to talk about it. But um, as far as ideas go, uh, that wasn't one of your crazier ones. There's one that actually had real substance behind it. And that is going to be it from Chris and I today. If you want to, uh, say, point out something that we completely missed in our discussion, or you just... Want to compliment Chris on his fantastic inner cranial organ? Email us at combinationsandpermutations at gmail.com and please visit the blog site where links to the various things that we talked about today will be put up at combinationsandpermutations.blogspot.com. I hope everybody has a fantastic week. Well, that's it for another episode of Combinations and Permutations. If you want to get a hold of us, please email us at combinationsandpermutations at gmail.com. Also, check out our blog at combinationsandpermutations.blogspot.com. This episode has been licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Share-Alike license. All the music that you've heard on this podcast is from SP12. If you like what you hear, go check them out at opsound.org. Thank you for listening.